Welcome to the Discipline Disruption Podcast. This is where you hear from some of the most brilliant minds, insights, stories, and implementation tips, how you can thrive in today's fast-changing world, both in business or work and in life. Here is your host, Michael Alf. Hi, Michael here, and I have a question for you. Are you also always looking for new ways to increase your productivity and get more things done? Well, there are strategies and tactics to get there. And I put together five tactics or productivity hacks to help you increase your productivity, get more done in today's fast-changing world. To download the five productivity hacks, go to hpda.link slash phacks, which stands for productivity hacks, so hpda.link slash phex or lowercase and download the hex. And now enjoy the episode. Welcome. Welcome to today's episode of the Discipline Disruption Podcast. It's my great pleasure to have Cheryl Cran with me. She's a future of work expert, leadership expert, and a multiple author. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm really excited about um, our conversation today because we are working in a very similar space, but you have kind of done so much research and so much work in that space. So I'm sure it will be a very interesting conversation. But before we get started, maybe you can a little bit share of, of your background, both personally and professionally. Yeah, well, my, my, you know, my, I'll start with the current reality as future of work expert and author of six books on, on future of work change leadership. Uh, my background before beginning my consulting firm in 1997 was in finance and insurance and started my way uh, up right, right out of high school and got into leadership at the age of 23 and had my first leadership role. Wow. And from there, I was very you know, eager and excited to really master leadership. It, was, it, it became a passion very early on and, and something that I always wanted to get better at. And then, of course, you know, being very successful in, in insurance and finance, I then started my own consulting firm and helping other people get better at leadership and growing their business. Personally, I'm married to my husband for over 30 years. I have mm -hmm. um, one daughter, two stepsons, and a grandbaby who's two and a half. And um, we live in Vancouver, Canada. We live three blocks from the beach. So joy for me is taking my dog Prince out to walk with the beach with my husband, spending time with family and enjoying life beautiful beautiful yeah. yeah so i mean vancouver is an amazing city um so it's a great place to kind of start the work from isn't it <laughs> absolutely yes absolutely yeah, yeah it's great yeah. one well, amazing career what i really like is um yeah this early passion about leadership and i think you mentioned that there's kind of it's about mastering something and i think leadership is one of the i mean there's, there's a few but one of the best examples what mastery actually means because you can always improve. Is that, yeah? Isn't that yes, right? Yes. In fact, I just wrote a blog post a few days ago called Future Ready Teams, and I talked about the ABLE acronym, always be learning every day. That wow. mm -hmm. to me is a master leader mantra. Um, mm -hmm. Anybody who is wanting to continue to impact people is looking at life as And, and leadership as something that we need to improve on and get better at every day. And that means having a willingness to always be learning, never stopping, no matter how much we know or how much we've accomplished. To have that learner mindset is a key component to being a master leader. 
Absolutely, absolutely, yes, yeah. So, and I think that's truer than ever um, in today's world, isn't it? Absolutely. I think today, in fact, I attended the Singularity University uh, Exponential Innovation Program in December, and uh, they were talking about how today you can have a PhD or you can have an MBA, but it's completely irrelevant if you're not staying up to date on the daily news, the daily disruptions, the daily uh, changes that are happening in the world. So yeah. I think ed education has gone beyond a degree and it's become something where we have to constantly be upgrading what we know. Yeah, abs absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's where we're very much uh, in line and in, in of our work and, and, and the thinking around that, which still poses a lot of challenges for a lot of people who say, well, kind of I've done and seen all these things and experienced that and I'm a, I'm a great leader. And so kind of they really rely on their experience mainly. And so what do you see some of the challenges and risks there? Yeah. So usually in my experience and my research, the, the generation, and I don't want to generalize here, but I'll just share my observations, is the generation of leaders that tends to feel that they can rely solely on their leadership or their experiences, typically the, the, the baby boomers, you know, those that are, you know, now in their 50s and older, or the traditionalists, those that are in their late 60s and older. And, you know, I'm not disputing the experience. Experience is valuable, especially in today's conflicted, uh, yes. you know, massive information environment. We need people who've had the experience of going through, you know, many previous disruptions and knowing what to do. The challenge is, If we get stuck in the mindset of, I know what to do based on my experience, that's a dangerous place. Because you know, Michael, as a disruption expert, you can have tons of experience, but with technology innovation now, it's not necessarily experience that's going to innovate. It, it's going to be creativity. It's going to be, how do we leverage the technology? It's going to be, how do we work with a millennial or a Gen Z in order to come up with a new solution. So I think the trap of experience is thinking that we can rely on our experience versus yes. valuing our experience while also having a learner mentality that says, I want to still explore and learn and marry that with my experience. And that's the powerful combo. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, totally. And, and I think it's a very, very fine line. So it's, it, and, it, and it's tricky, and I think you have to question yourself every single day, is that what I'm doing based on experience, which I take for granted, or mm -hmm. I, am I questioning actually what I'm doing and that there might be a different perspective? And, and I think that's in a, in a fast-paced environment quite a challenge, isn't it? Well, I love, I love the way you said that, and I agree with you. One of the tools that I, that I share with my audiences and my, my clients is something called the expanded perspective model. And so one of the ways we can sort of hold ourselves accountable is, is ask ourselves, am I really focused right now on myself, on me, on how this benefits me? Or am I focused on sharing what I know and learning from others, which is like the evolutionary higher levels, you know, learn and share. Mm -hmm. So really where we're going as, an, as a culture globally is we are shifting from a me to we, which is exactly what you know, collaborative technology such as Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat, that is what that has done. So what the younger generations have done really well is they're, they're collaborating and they're connecting. However, the challenge for the younger generations is they don't have the ability to discern, mm -hmm. in my opinion, I'm generalizing again, but 
the discernment is not there because they don't have the experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we're in this very interesting place, this zone of if we're to marry our experience as a baby boomer or a traditionalist with the technological savviness of a generation Y millennial or Gen Z, that's where the magic happens because now we're not operating in silos. We're operating in collaborative learning and sharing environments. And I see that as very exciting for the future. It is. I, I totally agree that there's you know, a lot of opportunity and excitement in this change. And, and I have this quote, you know, there's more, more change means more opportunity when you are ready. Yeah, and, and for me, it's kind of this readiness is, is a key component in being more self-aware, being more conscious and being more open to actually yeah, these, um, these changes and the other perspectives. Um, and, and yeah, so I think that's a, uh, that, that's, that's a pathway we're in there. So, I mean, future of work. Um, so you, you're one of the um, future of work experts and, and uh, recognized experts. And I think you, I read, you said basically future of work um, is now. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, a lot of futurists talk about the, the far off future. And what mm -hmm. I find is a lot of futurists talk about this dystopian future of robotics and automation and AI and, uh, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, even um, Bill Gates and Elon Musk talk about, oh, you know, we're going to be overrun by robots and, you know, we're going to be a dehumanized society. Uh, I, I take a different, you know, my research that I've done shows that, yes, automation is increasing. Yes, robotics is increasing. However, what we have power over, which we've always had power over, is as human beings, we get to decide how we program those tools. We get to decide how we use those tools. So when I talk about the future of work is now, it's not far off. It's the planning and the mapping that we're doing today that creates our future. So we can either be afraid of the future or we can say, you know what, I can see the future coming. And rather than be afraid or reactive, I'm actually going to take steps now to reskill, upskill, prepare. Rather than be afraid of the future, I'm going to make sure I'm on the leading edge of the change. Yes. That's what I mean about the future of work is now. It's not something that we wait for. It's happening as we live our lives daily. Absolutely. And I, and I think you only can prepare today yeah, for tomorrow. Uh, when you start tomorrow, especially with these rapid changes, I mean, it's, it's clearly too late. And, and that's where kind of the disruption kicks in. Yeah. And, you know, my approach, we're launching our new brand at the end of April. It's called nextmapping.com. And my approach is you look to the future and then you work backwards. And, and, you know, it helps you vision into, say, 2030 and then say, okay, so if we know that this could be the reality, for example, we, we pretty much know that self-driving cars are going to be a reality by the year 2030. So we can either deny that and say, no, I'm never going to, that's never going to be part of my reality. <laughs> or we look at that and go, well, wait a second, what could that mean for my business? What could that mean for my life? Yes. How could I begin to prepare for that now? So that, that's just a small example of, of what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's great. And that's, I think that's your next book um, is around, it's called Next Book, Next Mapping, um, how yes. great leaders inspire everyone to create the future. Do you want exactly. to talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that sounds really uh, exciting and, and very insightful for the audience. Yeah, you know, I think uh, my goal, in, and this is where I get a little bit sort of goose bumpy, <laughs> <laughs> is, is my, my, my goal and my passion and the reason I'm here on this planet Earth is, I believe, to help people succeed, grow, learn, excel in the future. Mm 
that that has always been, I, you know, if I look back to my career, that has always been my uh, approach. Anybody who's been working with me has always said, Cheryl inspires us to go for the next level. Cheryl inspires us to go to the next, uh, you right. know, the next place. And that's where Next Mapping was born from, is the branding company we worked with actually uh, interviewed a number of our clients. And, and then from there, they said, you know, Cheryl's not just about future of work. She's about helping us get there. And so the book is going to be six steps of how, whether you're an individual entrepreneur or whether you're a leader in a multinational organization, how we can actually inspire others to create their future rather than people feel like they're victims of the fast change. So for example, we know that the entrepreneur economy globally is rapidly changing. We know that freelancers are becoming more and more rampant with Gen Ys and millennials. We know that workers don't want to work full-time hours anymore and that they want to work remotely. So if we know all of that, how can we as individuals actually you know, benefit from that? So I might be working in an organization and say, I love working for this organization and I also want to freelance and I also want to do this, which we're seeing, for example, Uber created that reality. Yes. Mm -hmm. you know, or we can look as an organization and say, okay, what's next for us as an organization? And this is where the disruption comes in, is we can look at the organization and say, you know, we are, for example, Kodak, you know, they saw themselves as a photography business when in fact they could have been Instagram, yes. but they didn't pay attention to the disruptions that were changing the marketplace. Blockbuster could have been Netflix but they didn't embrace the disruptions that they saw hitting the marketplace. Could have, could have been bought, bought, bought them, I think, twice. It's, right, exactly. So, so next mapping is a, a process that helps individuals or organizations plan for the future in a way that lets them innovate and create the reality rather than react to the changes that are happening. Great. I really like that approach in terms of yeah, mapping backwards, basically, and, and looking at potential scenarios for the future. And we don't know how the future exactly, exactly. looks like. I mean, you yeah. made a good point around um, autonomous vehicles, and I think we are very much on the same page. That's going to happen and, um, um, and uh, probably faster than most people actually expect. So one scenario can be, if that's, the, if that's the case, what does it mean actually for my business today? If I'm in car insurance business, uh, I'm certainly, I certainly have a problem in the future. Exactly right. Yes. And rather than be afraid of it or ignore it, you embrace it and say, right. well, let's look at the potentials of this. Yeah. And that's what yeah. next, next Mapping does, is we look at the potentials of these disruptions, not the fear or the reaction. Yeah, fantastic. I think it's mm -hmm. a great approach. Um, and, and the only one, like, kind of, <laughs> you know, which really tackles the challenges, if you like, head on, because there will be so many more challenges. So you need, you need new approaches and new methods to actually you know, figure out you know, what you can do and how, how you can respond to it. Yeah, I think the biggest opportunity is for all of us to upgrade the way we think. You know, the, the way we've thought before has been very linear and the future is asking us to think in exponentially different mm -hmm. ways. And I think that's a huge opportunity for all of us as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. What was also interesting that you mentioned this new, um, this, this new kind of way how organizations see individuals and individuals, how they see their career. Uh, I was thinking about that and, and looking at that and kind of try to figure out, okay, how can I call those people? So I came up with the term hypreneur. Um, ah, nice. 
Very yeah, nice, which, yeah. Which, which really kind of addresses this new type of person, especially, I'd say, my, my focus more on the, on the corporate side, but this kind of flexible, yeah, so you have the freelancer, you have the contractor, you have the, an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, so kind of this, this new flexible model. Um, and, and with that uh, comes a new pattern of thinking, which you, know, you, you were talking about. Yes, and I just did an interview uh, last week for my podcast with the CEO of Freelancer.com. And we talked about what does this mean for organizations. So if you were a leader that came up through the 80s or the 90s, you could lead people that were sitting in their desk and you'd go over to their office. <laughs> then we got into the 2000s and now we're leading remote workers. Well, the leaders today... You're, you're actually leading remote workers, you're leading entrepreneurs, you're leading intrapreneurs, you're leading full-time workers, part-time workers. The skills to lead that diverse group of people are very different than the leadership skills that we had to have 20 years ago. Yeah. So yeah. this is what I'm talking about is that we can't use those experiences of the past when we're dealing with brand new scenarios uh, with the types of people that we're leading. Absolutely. And that this is the risk of, yeah, of experience. I mean, experience is based on something which I've done in the past um, and incorporated into my gut feeling, basically. I mean, when yes, you simplify yes. that. So the, yeah. the problem is now when this foundation isn't existing anymore. I mean, if I'm the best one to, um, to run a horse cart business um, and have all this experience, um, how to do that and when to buy new horses or breed new horses, and then the car comes around and no horses and horse carts exist anymore, then the experience, then the question is really which element of the experience remains relevant in the future? And that's mm -hmm. how I would mm -hmm. kind of phrase it. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Yes, no, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I see kind of, yeah, um, I, I see this kind of, yeah, this, this challenge around, yeah, that we question actually our own experience in a positive way, not saying denying that, but actually quest questioning that. Um, so, so the, the, the other areas where I would, would like to kind of deep dive a little bit more is around really leadership. And we talked about kind of the, the change of thinking and uh, you wrote the, also the book, you know, The Art of Change, change, uh, change Leadership. So what are some of these fundamentals um, which makes kind of today's leaders work in this kind of distributed environment? What would you mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. um, is required? Well, in, in my book, The Art of Change Leadership, I talk about the new skills that we all need to really master are um, not what we've mastered. So, for example, in the past, IQ was, you know, the, the measure of whether somebody was going to be good at their job or good leader. Today, it's more about EQ, emotional intelligence, and a variety of other intelligences. Uh, there was an article in Harvard Business Review a few years ago about how multiple intelligences are to be valued in today's reality rather than just a singular intelligence. And those multiple intelligences can, can include a creativity intelligence, a multiple personalities intelligence. In other words, many people have done Myers-Briggs or they've done DISC or those personality assessments, but it's time to master the use of that with people so that we're adapting to people as who they are real time rather than trying to get people to just understand us. Um, other intelligences include generational intelligence, understanding, well, okay, maybe this person is a millennial, so how do I connect with him or her in a way that's really going to engage them? Um, so when we look at, you know, being a change leader, in the book I talk about the future of work, everyone will be a leader. In fact, I believe the term leader will change as we morph into this new future. 
you know, we talk about, I talk a lot in the book about holacracy and companies like Zappos who, and GE who have really embraced holacracy, which is there are no leaders. They are teams of small groups of people where the leadership rotates amongst the teams. Mm-hmm. So that's really, you know, we're, we're shifting that we can't rely on sort of the, the traditional skills. Those are definitely foundational. We still need the foundational skills of critical thinking, decision-making, uh, leadership skills, communication skills. But those are not the evolutionary skills that are going to take us to the future of work. The evolutionary skills are building of emotional connection, intuitiveness, uh, relationship building skills, skills that used to be called soft skills. I actually uh, was on LinkedIn the other day and Jeffrey Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn, posted saying, uh, you know, what do you think about soft skills? And I posted and said, stop calling them soft skills. They're essential human skills. <laughs> yes, <very true. laughs> You know, and, uh, and so a lot of times, you know, I spoke with a group of um, uh, agricultural, it was a group of men, it was about 100 senior leader men, mostly men. And I said to them, how many of you would want to listen to me talk to you about soft skills? And nobody put up their hand. <laughs> and I, said, I said, but what if I told you that I'm going to share with you some essential human skills that are crucial to the future growth of your business. And they, and they all put up their hands. So, you know, calling them soft skills doesn't work anymore because mm-hmm. people then they diminish them and they go, well, they mustn't be important if they're soft, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So um, I just feel like we're on a, on a, on a real leading edge of change here with, with everything. And I get very excited about it as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, definitely. Yeah. and I'm, I'm yeah. equally yeah, excited. Uh, because again, yeah, I think there's so much uh, opportunity. I think it's interesting this observation. Yeah, that's the soft skills. It's almost like putting that into a box. Yep. Um, and and therefore, we always look at things. Well, if something is soft, that usually in a in a cru- kind of hard, cruel business environment, soft can't be that good. Exactly. So it's it, almost yes. from the outset, it, it becomes a problem. Exactly. The, the word itself sets it up to not be valued. Yeah, which is really interesting. So yep. how would you yep. then, do you have another term then for those skills? Well, that's where I, I call them essential human skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the future is very human. Even though we're talking about technology and AI, what technological innovation is doing ultimately is helping us to choose to create a better world for all of us. Mm-hmm. Whether whether that's universal income, whether that's uh, you know coming up with revolutionary solutions to world poverty or water shortage or uh, helping Puerto Rico solve its energy crisis, you know, whatever those, those things are, these are human realities. Mm. And the skills that are going to get us to the future are human to human. And if we're going to leverage technology, the questions we need to ask ourselves is how will this technology help us make the world for humans ultimately a better place? And if that question is at the core of everything we do with our technology, we will be a better planet for it. And that's what I hold the vision of. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, uh, there, there's a great opportunity for us. But I think there's also uh, a big way to go. So when I come back to your concept of the different intelligences which are required for leadership, mm-hmm. that sounds probably for some people very overwhelming and yes. you mentioned the yes. baby boomers i go even further i say kind of 35 plus almost yes um, just to and again it's kind of it's um generalizing 
but there are certain patterns. Uh, and for me, it's more like about kind of yeah, probabilities or chunks mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. where people have a lot of those, this generation or these people do have some, you know, some uh, own challenges. So how do you see this generation can tackle these new requirements? Mm -hmm. Well, generation, the generation you're speaking of, 35 plus, that's a generation X. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so Generation X, um, they they struggle because they they actually were on the leading edge of technology. So they were, you know, the product of the '90s in the workplace, in the organizations. In fact, I would credit Gen Xs for a lot of the the progress that's been made with technology in the last few years, uh, because they've had the foresight and the application ability to make those technology things work. For example. You know, the creator of Salesforce is a Gen X. Mm -hmm. um, the, 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 the CEO of Twitter is a Gen X. So, so that technology, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is a Gen X. We could call him a Gen X slash millennial. Mm -hmm. So the, the challenge, you're right. We can say, well, gosh, Cheryl, if you're telling me that I've got to learn all these other intelligences, where do I find the time to learn those intelligences? What I say to my clients is, look, and this is how I usually present it to them. Of these six intelligences, for example, creative intelligence, personalities intelligence, generations intelligence, emotional intelligence, how would you rate yourself on a scale to one to 10 with 10 being high? Now, if I rate myself and say, well, I'm a five in creative intelligence, whatever is your lowest number, I'm going to ask you to set some goals for yourself. Mm -hmm. And for the next 90 days, I want you to focus on developing your creative intelligence. If that means every day you're going to do an exercise to find something in common with two things that seem really opposite to each other, or if that means I'm going to read a chapter out of the book, How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, mm -hmm. or whether that means I go to YouTube and I look at creativity and look at what some of these millennials are doing and Gen Zs are doing, anything that inspires creativity, I'll make that my focus for 90 days so that I can develop that intelligence. Yes. So it's not to be overwhelming. It's more about how can I set goals for myself? so that I'm developing these intelligences. Emotional intelligence. I've, I've done the emotional intelligence uh, quotient program twice now. The first time I did it, I was mid-range on my emotional intelligence. The next time I did it, 10 years later, I was very high in my emotional intelligence. These things don't happen overnight. But by making the focused effort and the decision to say, I'm going to build on these intelligences, we can then start to make progress rather than have it overwhelm us. So for example, technology intelligence, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I'll say to people, how good do you think you are at technology overall? You know, for myself, I'm fairly technologically savvy as an entrepreneur and I do mm -hmm. a lot of things with tech, but I would rate myself probably a 7.5 or an eight. I still feel that I could maximize technology in my business. And so rather than get stressed about that, I go, okay, well, what can I learn? Should I, should I take a course on coding? Or if I don't have time for that, should I just watch a video or two on how to maximize Facebook ads? <laughs> you yes. know? So it's really about not being overwhelming, but that, that micro growth. I'm not, about, I'm not one of these motivational people that says, you know, go and change the world, leave your marriage, start a new job. That stuff is destructive. <laughs> I'm all about let's make these micro changes that motivate and inspire because we're, we're learning every single day. So that yeah. would be my response to that is, is make these 90-day these cycles of goals that you can really see and measure progress on. Yeah, absolutely, Cheryl. It's very interesting. I just launched um, um, an online program, uh, uh, personal productivity program, the Agile Path to Getting Things Done. Yes. 
Yes. And so I'm, so I'm using Agile and Scrum to help with your personal productivity. So not because yes. it's, it's more, more and more popular you know, in, um, in the, in the cor company and corporate uh, context, but I think there needs to be a way to actually learn and embrace that. And the, and the, and the personal level, I think, is the best level. And then you can take it back to, Agreed. Uh, to the organization. Agreed. And Agreed. the interesting thing is um, I also talked about these 90 days. said, okay, 12 mm. weeks, 90 days, yeah. three months, yep. whatever you want to call it. Um, is a great horizon uh, where you can actually make real progress, but at the same time have a deadline where you can cut off and say, okay, this is not too expensive or that's not going anywhere or whatever it is. Uh, yes. Yep. And so I, I think that's really good. Yeah. I mean, most organizations work on a quarterly basis. So for me, the 90 days works really well for me in my own business, but it also works well for my corporate clients because yes. they're working on quarters anyway. So mm. it's a, it's a very, Uh, it's a natural structure that they can ad adapt to to yes. help them make, make those progresses. Mm, absolutely. I completely agree. The, and, and still, I think what is happening now um, is that there is people have to take a lot more ownership of their life or especially their professional development, their professional career. Would you, would you agree on that as well? Absolutely. And in fact, in the book, The Art of Change Leadership, I talk about Rather than, I mean, in the old days, you know, in the, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, um, a lot of the structure of corporate was you got hired for a job, you were given a job description, uh, you would be given a performance review every year. And based on that, you would determine whether you were doing a good job or not. And based on that, you would determine whether you were going to stay in that job or not. Uh, I think today what we're talking about is you have to be the champion of your own career. You have to take responsibility for creating the next job, for creating your opportunities. And organizations have to stop doing the annual performance review because it's not real-time feedback. And so what we're looking at now is organizations using real-time feedback to say, okay, you know, technology to do that, we can do that through different things like chatter or, or you know, other tools that lets us do that. But, but I'm getting a lot of my clients to move away from the annual performance review and move to one-on-one -on -one coaching on a consistent basis and quarterly reviews so that people do not, they're not surprised that they know how they can improve. They're being coached versus told what yeah. to do. And as an individual, not blaming your boss or hoping that somebody's going to take care of you. Those <laughs> days are over. They're completely gone. And that's where your comment about a hyperpreneur or an entrepreneur That's what everybody needs to be now and in the future of work is fully responsible for creating mm. the career and the success. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, which I think for many people, it's still a big challenge. One of the challenges I see is um, the willingness to actually invest. And, and when I say invest, the time, usually it's, it's almost the easier part, though people are extremely busy. What I see a big challenge is that hardly or only very few people, especially in that kind of more corporate context, and I'm very careful, it's kind of generalizing again, but the willingness to, for example, invest into a course or in a coach or in something which takes them forward. Because in the past, I think, and, and you said, yeah, the past was beginning of the 2000s still. It's like the company's responsibility. They send us on you know, career development courses and skill development courses and they pay and they pay the expenses and all of that. And do you see that changing as well, that there's more ownership? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, yeah. 
And I think that's going to continue, Michael, because as entrepreneurs and freelancers continue to increase, I mean, I, I don't know the statistics in Australia, but I can tell you in North America, uh, there are more entrepreneurs than there are jobs being created. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it is the trend that is going to continue. And, and freelancing globally is, is a trend because you can live and work anywhere, as you know, and that, mm -hmm. that is going to continue. So you, if you're an entrepreneur, you're entrepreneur-minded, and you're right, we don't want to generalize about corporate, but, but I'm going to be really direct with you here because I come from corporate. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> cor yeah. Corporate created in the past these golden handcuffs. Yes. So, you know, we, people became very reliant on the corporation to take care of them. And, and you know, I'm not sure about you, but when I left corporate, my boss said to me, you're, you know, you're nuts. Why would you leave the security? You know, it's too much risk. And my view, which because I come from an entrepreneur family, was I would be crazy not to take the risk because right now I'm, I'm absolutely beholden to you for my future. Mm -hmm. And I'm not willing to be beholden to anybody for my future. I want to create my future. <laughs> so, you know, when we talk about people investing, I'm not sure about you, Michael, but for me, when people say, well, how did you go from, you know, starting your consulting firm to writing six books and being as successful you are? I will tell you right now, my success is in direct proportion to the amount of time and money I've invested in coaches. Totally. So in every year of my business, I have spent large sums of money in, yes. in, in experts to help me get to the next level of my success. Yeah. And mm. so I've never waited for anybody to bring that to me. It's like, if I want to get to where I'm going, I'm willing to invest in order to get there. Great. And I think mm. that mindset People need to get, they need to wake up and really ask themselves. I mean, anybody listening, the question that I would ask myself is, have I become complacent and reliant on being taken care of? And am I willing to go out of my comfort zone in order to stretch and learn and grow in order to create my future? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really like that approach. And I think what, so it seems yeah, we have both a corporate background, but you are coming from an entrepreneurial family and it feels you, yeah, you got some different kind of lessons there. For me, it was more like, well, this is actually the only path. Um, and I thought actually the world was linear. Um, and, and I woke up <laughs> yeah, someday uh, yeah, figuring out yeah. that it's actually not the case. Yep. Um, and, it's, and it's quite painful. And what I see today is, with the disruption, it's much more likely that actually the certainty and security of, of a job and a role goes away, I mean, even in this corporate environment where in the past that wasn't really the case. I mean, typically it was easier than to find something else. Where here now, what was happening now over the next yeah, five to 10 years, it will be a massive kind of shift and, um, and a lot of people will kind of lose their jobs um, and in, in terms of that disruption, I'm thinking about you come from finance and banking. I mean, you know, the, the disruption in the banking will be massive. Um, and so, so the question is almost like, okay, what would I do if I lost my job tomorrow? Because when disruption hits, actually it will hit pretty quickly. Well, it's really interesting that you bring that up, Michael, because although I came from an entrepreneurial family, the reason I actually started my own business is because I had a series of disruptions in my career. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. So the, the, the first disruption was I left banking. I was being groomed for executive leadership. Mm -hmm. I left. I was headhunted away by insurance, and I went to the insurance that was private insurance. I was with them for two years, and they filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. 
Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. They asked me to stay to manage the transition, but I couldn't lie to my people about not having jobs. Mm-hmm. So I left on my own accord and I headed up a uh, mortgage program for a credit union. They had never done one before, and I was the area manager. And we, bid, we did $10 million in 10 months, and this was in the early 90s. My boss came to me and said, you've oversold the portfolio. We no longer have the money to fund what you've lent. You no oh. longer have a job. So mm-hmm. I out-succeeded my, myself of the job. Now, they wanted to give me a branch manager job, but I had already done that when I was in banking. <laughs> so I had two choices. I can either go backwards mm-hmm. or... I can go forwards. And at that time, I met somebody who said, oh, there's a business coach I know that helps people with startups. I hired that coach for $20,000 that I did not have. I borrowed the money and said, teach me how to be an entrepreneur. Even though I come from entrepreneur family, I do not want to assume that I know what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I'm here today, not because I had the foresight, but because I listened to the disruptions rather than become a victim of the disruptions. That's great. Very strong messages, Cheryl. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really insightful. Because the, the, the big question, Mark, um, and I see that in my, you know, in my work, in my, in my talks, it's, they, are, they all say, yes, kind of it's nice and it's, it's coming, but it's um, really this, it's almost this place of complacency. So, so the question is really how do we kind of bring people out of this complacency so that they actually do take these steps and, uh, and take ownership? Well, you know what, Michael? I've stopped trying to do that. Okay, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you why. It's going to happen whether we get them to do it or not. That's true. It's true. So, <laughs> so life has a way of either we're disrupting or we're being disrupted. Mm-hmm. And so the people listening are either going to be inspired and go, dang it, I'm going to take action. I'm going to hire a coach or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take action. Or they might still be complacent and go, you know what? I'm not ready to make that change because I'm getting a good paycheck mm-hmm. and, you know, it's okay. It's good enough the way it is. And you know what? That's okay. Because mm-hmm. in my opinion, complacency is easily shaken up as soon as the change happens. I agree. I, 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 100%, I agree 100%. And, and I think that's happening more and more in the marketplace yeah, where, I mean, yeah, for example, banks lay off thousands yeah, of people yeah. in one go. Uh, yeah. And suddenly, suddenly there's movement because the press covers it. You know, it's um, it's yeah. kind of more prominent and everybody yeah. talks about digital and more and more about digital disruption. Uh, it's no longer this or oh, this is something IT related. Uh, but to actually impact. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if, if I was listening to your podcast and I was a baby boomer, a traditionalist, I would, my first thought would be, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to really reskill and upskill my, my digital savviness. Yes. That would be my first, I mean that I, everything I teach, I have to apply. As you know, Michael, when you're a yes. consultant, we don't just speak about this stuff. We have to live it, breathe it and do it. Totally. And so for me, I have to hold myself accountable to the things that I'm asking other people to do. (laughs) And so I do not, you know, when we talk about complacency, you can even be complacent as an entrepreneur, which I've been in that trap as well, Mm -hmm. where I I reached a certain level of success. I had a certain level of guaranteed client base and then I got complacent. And then all of a sudden 2008 happened and I went, Oh crap, what am I going to do now? (laughs) Yeah. And so, You know, the thing is, no matter how ready we are, I think the biggest message is 
the more flexible and resilient and agile I can make myself, then I can be ready for almost anything. And I think that's the key, is not to fear the change or to fear that, the, that disruptions are going to happen, but to really proactively prepare ourselves saying, you know what, no matter what happens, I will find a way to create my way out of this, to, to leverage. And I believe if, if our focus is on making the world a better place, we will always have job security. I really believe that. Yes, because yeah. you will always create something that's going to generate value for others. And if we're generating value for others, we're always going to be in demand. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and which still makes kind of people, um, I'd say uncomfortable. Yeah. With kind of all the change, which is normal. That's a normal human yes, behavior yeah. because yeah. it's more energy. There's more willpower necessary. Um, and you already consume a lot of the willpower and the energy yeah, for your, for your demanding job. Um, and, But that's kind of, that's the way we need to head to. I mean, it's easily said change is the new normal. But you really need to think through what that actually means and how, how flexible you are and how comfortable you are with this uncertainty and what you can do. And as, and as you said, the more flex, agile, flexible we become, um, the better we are prepared, which does still have the risk. And you mentioned 2008 before that something happens, which kind of it gives you a ma massive dip, but you're better prepared yeah, for, for what is coming to come back then even stronger. You know what I really appreciate, Michael, is, is and, I, and I never used to appreciate this as much as I do now, but, but I see each of those, if I look back and I, and I encourage you and all your, all your listeners, if you look back and look at the patterns in your life and in your career, you will always see that every dip led to a massive learning curve. Mm -hmm. and a new level of success and understanding. You know, you know that saying, fool me once, shame on, on you, <laughs> fool me twice. You know, it, it, that's how I see those dips is if I don't learn anything and I go yes. back to my old habits, well, then I'm a victim of a pattern that I'm not willing to change. Mm -hmm. But if I do see everything that happens in my life is an opportunity to learn and grow, then I'm always going to benefit from that dip. Mm -hmm. There's never a loss. There's no failure. There's always a learning and applying and succeeding. Mm. Which I think is a great perspective. And what I'm seeing a lot of people kind of theoretically agree to that, practically less so. I think one of the biggest obstacles I see is um, loss aversion. Yeah, the fear, the fear of loss and, and to lose something. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so from, yeah. a, um, you know, from a psychological standpoint, you know, and I talk about this in my book about change leadership and the change cycle, you will never ever stop feeling fear or never stop feeling defensive because those are human realities. Mm -hmm. However, the more time we spend on the creative resourceful side of the change cycle, the more energy and power we have to meet that change head on. So we have a choice. We can remain fearful and we can remain defensive or we can build our resourcefulness and our creativity. And so for me, trust me, I don't, I don't, I'm not immune to fear, nor are you. Sure. Mm -hmm. However, how I deal with fear is very different than how I used to deal with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you can build that change muscle very well so that you don't, you don't have to spend as much time in the fear and defense. You can spend maybe seconds compared to hours or days. Mm -hmm. mm, absolutely. 
I'm one of the books I'm reading at the moment is uh, Comfortable with Uncertainty, um, which talks exactly about that, but more from a spiritual uh, point of view. I think that that element comes in from my experience yeah, in the whole discussion as well. There's more discussion on purpose and passion and, and kind of the spiritual side. Is that something you see in your work as well? You know, it's so interesting that you bring that up, Michael, because that is a huge component. And, and let's just be clear that spiritual does not mean religious. Mm-hmm. Okay. I agree. Um, yeah. So uh, when you, you know, that, that phrase, you know, let go and let mm-hmm. God, and I'll mm-hmm. use the word God again, not as a religious term, but as a, we could say universe, we could say anything we wanted in place yes. of that word. Um, when you are, when each of us is strong in our identity of self and our, and we are com- committed to our connection to source universe, whatever that is, we are less threatened by what happens in, in our physical reality. Mm-hmm. And we are more integrated with the fact that let's be honest, Michael, if we get really existential, we're really specks of dust floating in a planet in the space. <laughs> you know, so if we get really existential, we can say, you know, what yes. the hell are we, what the hell are we doing every day anyway? Like, what's the point, right? Um, yes. And and bringing that back into human reality, I will tell you that the reason I have become as agile, flexible as I am is because I meditate daily. Mm-hmm. I I uh, participate in uh, self development activities such as uh, the work by Byron Katie. Mm-hmm. Um, I have studied and, and participated in the work of Tony Robbins, yes. mm-hmm. Donald Epstein. Um, I have done the personal work that supports my ability to continue to have the perspectives that I have. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, you can't just think your way out of change. <laughs> you have okay. to be able to integrate it into who our whole being, yes. body, mind, and spirit. And if our body, mind, and spirit are aligned, then nothing that happens will shake us from who we are. Mm, very true. So in your work then with um, corporate organizations, are you discussing these topics as well? And what's, yeah, what's, what's the feedback? Absolutely, I am. And I, you know, one of the things I did with Dr. Epstein is I actually helped translate a lot of his work into corporate speak, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we, we created programs called uh, The Energy States, uh, we, we created something called uh, the Energetic Influencers. And corporate, it's interesting, uh, corporate is, ex- so if, if you can turn it into how it impacts productivity and results and bottom line, they will pay attention. Mm-hmm. If you talk about it just as an esoteric concept, of course, they don't, they don't want to listen because they need to prove the ROI. Yeah. So what I'm finding is more and more corporate are asking me for it. In fact, I actually had a group of accountants two years ago that wanted the energy states and I delivered it to them and they really found it valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I've had a client ask, um, actually Cisco, International Cisco, mm-hmm. ask me about doing a, um, uh, a webinar for them on energy and its impact on how we interact with each other and how it impacts customer service and all those things. I would say that, and I would say now corporate, corporate, multinational, that's a bigger nut to crack, as you know, because yeah. they, mm-hmm. there's it's so much structure mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, unless you, you get a very uh, evolutionary leader 
it's going to be hard to crack that. But I will tell you, like smaller and mid-sized corporations, they're definitely looking. Like Facebook has done energy programs. Yes. Um, mm. uh, you know, a lot of the technology firms have done this kind of program because they know the value of it. They get it. Mm-hmm. I would say more traditional organizations are a little bit more pushback because they're worried about that religious context versus seeing it as energy, which is not religious at all. Yes. Mm. So I think we're making progress. I really do. I feel like we are. Yeah, yeah. To- totally. To- I completely agree. I mean, there's so, so much examples and data points and uh, yeah, also in, in the work I'm doing and, um, but also in the literacy, literacy uh, you see a lot of these you know, developments and trends. Not at least one of my favorite books um, is um, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, which is the book. Which is a fantastic book. It's wonderful. It's, yes. uh, yeah, which I've listened to, I don't know how, how often, and uh-huh. each time I listened to it, I thought, oh, I didn't hear that before. Yeah, yes. or suddenly it yeah. has a completely different context. But it's mm-hmm. also like, it's like um, it takes time to actually embrace that. But it, he, I mean, he talks about kind of this new earth, yeah, this higher level of consciousness. And, 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 and I think one of the challenges in bringing that together with this kind of our old traditional world uh, in the corporate environment where it's all about kind of profits and, um, yes. yep. and, and, and making yep. money and processes and ROI and so on. And well, if you look at, for example, Deepak Chopra has written The Soul of Leadership He's mm-hmm. written a number of books that actually corporations have really embraced. So I do feel like there are movements being made. Richard Branson actually talks about spirituality, you know, the CEO of, of mm-hmm. Virgin. Um, I, I think the more that we hear about it from influential people, yes. the more it infiltrates the, the overall culture. And mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see a tipping point happen in the next few years. I really do. Yeah, which can only be good for the world. Exactly. Um, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> Wonderful. Exactly. We've, we've given kind of the, the audience so many ideas and tips already. Can, are you able to kind of consolidate and say kind of what are three things today's you know, managers, leaders, executives should do to prepare uh, for this new, you know, new age of leadership? Mm-hmm. I would say the top three things. Number one is building uh, multiple perspectives, multiple intelligences, uh, mindset. You know, the willingness to realize that there's more to intelligence than just our IQ mm-hmm. and, and beginning to take steps towards building each of those intelligences. I would say, secondly, the willingness to see change through the creative lens, uh, helping teams and leaders build their creativity muscle is something that is going to help prevent uh, you know, problems with disruption. And the third would be building disruption tolerance and, and really helping people learn how to better able handle ambiguity and, and uncertainty. And that uncertainty and disruption tolerance is going to help leaders be more innovative and be able to add value to their teams. Because face it, if you've got a, a leader who's afraid, they're going to lead by fear. Yes. Mm. So we need more leaders who are leading by inspiration, creativity, possibility. So I would say those are the three things that I would encourage leaders to really focus on. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for sharing that. So, so what's, what's up for you, kind of you know, the rest of 2018 and into 2019? So the book is coming out. When is that, when is that coming out? 
book will be ready fall of 2018. That's the plan. Now I've written six books and sometimes they don't always meet that deadline, but that's, <laughs> that's the plan. Uh, if it doesn't launch in fall of 2018, it'll definitely be new year 2019. So it's within the next eight to nine months. Uh, the book, of course, takes a lot of focus. The, the website will be launching at the end of April, nextmapping.com. Mm -hmm. uh, we are also going to be, we have some online programs for leaders that are part of that. And we'll be launching a new online leadership program this year as well. And in the new website, you'll find a new white paper on, you know, it's called If Robots Are Going to Take Over the World, What Does That Mean for Humans? Uh, mm -hmm. We have a new Future of Work quiz that will be on the new website. Uh, a lot more resources, videos, and ways to prepare for the future of work. Uh, and so that's going to keep us busy. We're also building a team of consultants that work with Next Mapping. We're bringing on a few right now who will be Next Mapping coaches that will be trained and certified as Next Mapping experts that will be helping people through coaching and consulting as well. So Sounds lots good. going on in the next yes. little while. Yeah. Wow, Cheryl, that's uh, yeah. that's that's a lot, and probably maybe there's an opportunity to uh, bring you back here. Then, yeah, once the book is actually launched, so we can talk e even more detail uh, about that, and um, yeah, and and share that with the audience if um, if you like. That would be great. That would be wonderful, Michael. Thank you so much. And the and we put the the link obviously also into the show notes. And I'd like to close the interview with the last question. What's the one question nobody has asked you before, but you think it should be asked? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think that nobody has ever asked me my life philosophy. Mm, okay. And I would say that, you know, this is me being spiritual here, that yes. if, I, if I look at my essence of who Cheryl is and who I came in to be, is I think it's, my name says it all. My name is Cheryl, but it really stands for share all. <laughs> mm. And I believe that's what I'm here to do, is to share all that I have learned and that I research and that I find to help as many people as I possibly can in this lifetime. That's I think beautiful. that's, you know, life philosophy is we've got to share what we know and, and that's what's going to help everybody grow. That's beautiful. And I like kind of this, yeah, that it's actually in your name already, Cheryl. Yes. So yes. <laughs> that's beautiful. So thank you so much. It was great to have you here um, on the show. Um, I look forward to you know, being in touch in the future and I wish you a wonderful day, Cheryl. Thank you, Michael. All the best to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Discipline Disruption Podcast. I hope you got some ideas and tips you can implement in your life. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any episodes in the future. And please leave a review and rating. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for that. And when you want to have a free what-if call with me to discuss your most burning question and maybe some ideas how to create some discipline around this disruption, head to michaelalf.com slash what-if call. Thank you and see you next time.